like to always open up with grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and it's so good to be back in Columbus, Mississippi, and receiving all this good Southern hospitality, and uh, you guys, man, this is a great church. Uh, I, yeah, this is a good place to clap. Um, this is a great church, and you have great pastors and great leaders, Pastor Ethan and Pastor Lena, and just, uh, I'm just grateful to be here tonight, and grateful to be called on to be a part of Revival Night, Revival, Revival, to come back alive, bring life. Somebody's going to walk out of here different tonight. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm uncle, auntie, nephew, niece. <laughs> we just all in the family, right? And so uh, Pastor Ethan is, uh, has been a great friend and uh, an encouragement to my life. I don't have to tell you, you know, he's, he's my friend who makes me laugh. And uh, we just get together and laugh and chuckle and giggle and he, he, tee, he, and ha, ha, and we just get it all in. And um, so I'm just grateful tonight for having me come to speak to such a wonderful church, God's people. And uh, I pray that somebody's life has changed as a result of it on tonight. Yeah. He mentioned uh, our family. I do. I have three sons and I have three grandsons. Uh, I wish I would have got a picture to show you. But my oldest son, Devin, was talking to somebody today. He'll be 35 this year. Uh, my old, so we started very young. We started very young. And, and, uh, and uh, my youngest is like 22, Jeremiah. So I think he might even be watching tonight. He's in college, coaches in college basketball in Indiana. And he said, Dad, just send me a link I'd like to watch tonight after practice. So... Hopefully he's watching tonight, but uh, God has blessed us with three boys, three grandsons. I don't know. I just can't produce anything but men-child, <laughs> just, just men-child. And, uh, and my lovely wife, Trace, is 31 years we've been married. Uh, <clears throat> and we've been together a long time, man, been through a lot of things together, been pastoring the church. We started with four people 26 years ago. And God has blessed our church and seen it grow and blossom and be what everything he's called it to be. And so uh, we've just been through a lot together. And for her to stand here tonight with me is special because when I just think back of all the things we've been through, I told my church the other day, I said, me and her have fought each other or fought together. And when I say fought, I don't mean with each other. We have teamed up to fight other couples. And... <laughs> We got in a fight in the movie parking lot over a parking space <laughs> with another couple. I kid you not. And so we have been through a whole lot together. And so I'm just grateful for her to be with me tonight. So don't act froggy tonight. Don't act like you want to, because I got my tag team partner with me. All right. So. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much. You can be seated. Thank you for uh, honoring me tonight and just having me come and share. Y'all ready for the word? Yeah. How many of you love the word of God? Yeah. I believe you're in the right place at the right time to hear a right word from God that's going to bring right results in your life. 
Um, and so I'm excited. I want to just take a moment to tell you uh, that, uh, that give me give me a little give me a moment tonight in this. Uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get somewhere, and you're gonna get there with me. Believe me, it it, it may almost be like a roller coaster. You know, all this anticipation. When we gonna get there? Get to the top, and then we gonna woo. We gonna have a great time. All right. But just, just be patient with me as I share with you what the Lord is laying on my heart, and I think it's going to be life-changing. Amen? I want to read a scripture here in Luke chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to read uh, a few verses of scripture. If you're not very spiritual, this would be the most scripture you've read all week. If you're not, to those who aren't very spiritual, I understand. It's the story of the prodigal son. It says, and he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, uh, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Verse 16 says, And he would have, or would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and said unto him, uh, and ran, I'm sorry, and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and some shoes on his feet and bring uh, hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So I want to talk about tonight, I'm calling this message, it's an interesting title, but I'm calling this the recipe for revival. The recipe for revival. You, you remember, you know... You, I remember growing up, I'd go down south to my grandma's house, and she cooked some cake. We couldn't wait to get down there, and she cooked some cake, and she had her recipe and all sitting out. It just, it's all the ingredients that goes into making whatever it is that you're going to make. That's the recipe. And I'm saying all these scriptures that I just read to you give us the ingredients, the recipe to have revival in our lives from start to finish, and we're going to walk through it tonight. Somebody say Amen. I heard one man tell a funny story. He says, my dad's famous chili recipe calls for exactly 239 beans. He said one more would make it too farty. <laughs> too farty. Yeah, too farty. Some of y'all get that on the ride home. All right. <laughs> if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Let me give you this first recipe. The first thing is, 
is he reflected. He reflected. Verse 17 says, and when he came to himself, when he came to himself. Here's where revival starts. When he came to himself. Moments of reflecting is when one considers their condition. And if you're not concerned with your condition, you can't change your condition. So you have to consider your condition. I'm thinking about a man in the Old Testament named Gideon, who when God came to him, Gideon responded with, I'm poor and I'm least in my father's house. In other words, it wasn't the best confession, but at least he was aware of his condition. There was a woman in a famine down in Zarephath, and here's what she told the man of God. She said, all I have is two sticks, a little bit of meal in my hand. She was aware of her condition. I think it was uh, Isaiah who said, I am a man of unclean lips. He was aware of his condition. David would often say, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He too was aware of his condition. And this prodigal son said, wait a minute, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I sit out here in hunger? He was aware of his condition. Reflecting is when you realize things that are alarming and it causes a spiritual awakening, okay? I want y'all to get that. It's what kindles or it's what kickstarts revival in our life. Moments of reflecting, moments of clarity, epiphanies, when the light bulb comes on, is when life starts to kick in your belly. Are y'all hearing me? The second ingredient I want to give you is that he returned. He reflected, but then after he reflected, he returned. Verse 18 says, I will arise and go to my father. So he returned. Now, you first have to come to grips with why you left before you can return. Isn't that something? You, you first have to come to grips with why you left the family. You first have to come to grips with why you left your child. You first have to come to grips with why you left the job. You first have to come to grips with why you left your spouse. You first have to come to grips with why you left the church. You first have to come to grips with why you left your relationship with God before you can return. And so this boy, what did he do? He returned, and I love this. I love this because here's one of the things that I've learned over the years. I've learned this. I don't believe that the prodigal left the father because he didn't love the father. I believe he left because he didn't like the farm. See, the father represents relationship, but the farm represents rules. And people leave a lot of times because they don't like the rules. See, teenagers don't run away from home because they don't love their parents. They run away from home because they don't like the parameters set by their parents. And I've learned that even church members don't leave the church because they don't love the pastors. They leave because they don't like the parameters or the procedures or the protocols or the processes that have been set by their pastors. Not realizing or recognizing that many times those restrictions are for their own protection. 
Just hit your neighbor and say, he's getting there. He's going to get there in a minute. Just hit him and say, he's going to get there in a minute. Doesn't that make sense? It's for their own protection. And so, and so here's what I wrote down. People who want to live wild will always walk away from things that are well run. <laughs> look at your family, look at the church, look at your job, it don't matter. People who want to live wild don't want the restrictions. They don't want the rules. They will always walk away from things that are well run. Somebody say amen. And so I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I believe it's time for somebody to return. I mean, don't let guilt rob you of returning. Don't let shame rob you of returning. Don't let pride rob you of returning. Don't let rebellion rob you of returning. Don't let Jezebel nor Judas jeopardize your relationship with Jesus and rob you of returning. Because can I tell you that the risk of returning is not greater than the reward of returning. There's great reward if you return home. And I just believe right now there's somebody who needs to return home. Maybe there's a father who needs to return home. Maybe there's a teenager who needs to return home. Maybe there's a spouse. Maybe there's a church member. Maybe there's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in the room tonight who needs to return home. I'm just saying that returning is that second ingredient or piece to this recipe called revival. The third one I want you to write down is this. He repented. He reflected, then he returned, and then he repented. He said, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy, listen to this, to be called thy son. He said, make me one of thy hired servants. Now, how many of you know what repentance is? Repentance is a change of mind. That's all repentance is. Repentance ain't crying. Repentance isn't coming to the altar and just using up a whole box of Kleenex slobbering and snotting all over the place. That's not repentance. That's emotions. And I'm not saying emotions isn't a part of repentance. But if you do all that and don't change, there wasn't any repentance. So repentance means to change your mind. It doesn't matter if you change your spouse. If you don't change your mind, it doesn't matter if you change your job, if you don't change your mind, it doesn't matter if you change your city, it doesn't matter if you change your church, it doesn't matter if you change your year, oh, it's 2024, it's going to be a wonderful year, not if you don't change your mind. Are you hearing me? And we can see that this prodigal son changed his mind. Because when he first comes to the father, listen to what he says. He says, give me the portion of goods that falls unto me. But after going through trying times and days of adversity, when he comes back to his father, he no longer says, give me. Now he says, make me one of thy hired servants. He's had a change of mind. You understand what I'm saying? Because one of the things he learned while he was out there is that if the Father ever gives you before he makes you, you'll always mess up what he gives you. 
and that's what he did. And so he had to repent. He had to change his mind. In other words, you know how he had to change his mind? He had to change his mind about how he saw himself. Somewhere out there, he lost his identity. And can I tell you, if you spend any amount of time in obscurity, it's going to impact your identity. And he lost his identity. And this is why when he come back, he said, I'm not even worthy to be called thy son. He said, just make me one of the higher servants. He doesn't even see himself as a son any longer. So he has to repent. He has to change his mind about how he sees himself. And that's what the enemy is after, whether you knew it or not, is your identity. He wants to jack up and mar up and mess up your identity. He wants you to suffer from an identity crisis. He wants you confused about your eye. Can't you see it in the world today where people don't know who they are, where they're coming or if they're going? He's messing with people's identity. And when you get older, can I tell you that midlife crisis is simply a loss of identity? And can I tell you that a two-seater convertible won't fix midlife crisis? Can I tell you a miniskirt, sis, at 52 will not fix midlife crisis? Can I tell you a girlfriend 30 years younger will not fix midlife crisis? Can I tell you a tattoo of the Lord's Supper across your back will, <laughs> will not fix midlife crisis? crisis, the thing you have to do is you got to go back to the Father so that he can put a ring on your finger and tell you who you are. Come on. And he's going to tell you that you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Does anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? I don't care if you're tall, I don't care if you're short, I don't care if you're skinny, I don't care if you're big boned, I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, I don't care if you're a teenager with zits and pimples going through an awkward moment in your life. God sent me from Columbus, Ohio to Columbus, Mississippi to tell you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. No, think about it. He gave you a back for formation. He gave you legs for transportation. He gave you hands for occupation, eyes for observation, a nose for inhalation, ears for interpretation, a mouth for conversation. Gave you nerves for sensation. Gave you a fingerprint for identification. Gave you hair for decoration. Come on, somebody. Gave you a heart for blood circulation. Gave you lungs for respiration. Gave you seed for multiplication. Gave you a church for edification. Pastors for motivation. And those two feet for you to stand and give this preacher a standing ovation. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Come on, somebody ought to give God a good hand clap praise. Repentance is changing your mind on how you see yourself. You are not a slave. You are not a servant, but you are a son and a daughter of the king. 
And so repenting, repenting is this third ingredient uh, to this recipe called revival. Number four, let me give you this next recipe. He was restored. He was restored. Verse 22 says, but the father said to the servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Now, revival comes with being restored. The Bible says, if the thief be found, he shall restore sevenfold. I believe God told Jeremiah, I will restore health unto thee. In Joel chapter 2, he said, I will restore unto thee the years that the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm have eaten out of your life. In other words, God turns sickness into health. He turns poverty into wealth. He turns death into life. He turns mourning into dancing. He says, I'll turn your sorrow into joy. What am I saying? I'm saying, don't let this junk steal your joy. Don't let this journey steal your joy. Don't let some jerk steal your joy. Don't let jealousy steal your joy. Are y'all hearing me? Don't let it steal your joy. Come on. The Bible says that he turns water into wine, and wine represents joy. That's right. I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm not talking about booze. I'm not talking about liquor. This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day, he said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Talking about joy, one writer said it like this, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Come on, did y'all hear what I just said? I believe God's about to return somebody's joy tonight. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I thank God tonight, he's the strength of my salvation. I thank God tonight. He's the rock of my salvation. I thank God for the helmet of salvation. I thank God for the day of salvation. But tonight, God, my request is that you restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Come on. Because my heart has been hurting and heavy long enough, and I am ready to be happy again. My life has been sad long enough, and I'm ready to laugh again. Come on, my cup has been empty long enough, and I'm ready for it to be filled up again. So restore unto me, God, the joy of my salvation. Come on, the writer says, weeping may endure for a night. Come on, but joy comes in the morning, and those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And so God is in the business of restoring and returning some of the things maybe that we have lost in our lives. He reflected, he repented, he returned, he was restored. Number five, he was revived. Oh, well, now we're getting here. He was revived. Verse 24 says, for my son was dead and is alive again. You know you're revived when you're responsive. In other words, when when, when God reached out to this boy, he didn't just lie there. He got up, brushed himself off, said, you know what, I'm bigger than this. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
He, he said, I'm better than this. In, in other words, he responded to the touch of God in his life. That's how you know you're revived. I believe it was David, king. He had gotten old. He was in the bed. They didn't know if David was dead or not, and so they got this bright idea. They threw this young girl in the bed with David. I think her name was Abishai. And they said, we'll know now. <laughs> and when David didn't respond, they said, the king is dead. Because that's how you know you're revived, is when you respond. When you're out cold and they put the defibrillators on you, you say, clear? The only way they know you're revived is if you respond. So now you understand when the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and you don't do it. It might just be because you're dead. Because we know you're revived when you respond. Come on, when he says lift your hands in the sanctuary and you keep yours in your pocket, it might just be because, come on, am I in the house right now? When he says let everything that have breath praise the Lord and you keep your lips zipped, you're unresponsive. When the word is coming forth real good like it is right now, and, and you never say amen, you never say teach the word, you better preach, preacher, I'll slap you. If you don't never say nothing, come on, you're unresponsive. Are you hearing me? And I tell him in my church, you better not go to sleep in my church. This is not the church of the living dead. Just tell them what I do. If I spot anybody going to sleep, I make the whole church stand up. Everybody got to pay. So now we can see who that joker is. We tell them in my church, you go to napping, we go to slapping. Wake up. But how is it that you can have two people sitting on the same row right next to each other? One of them is eating, one of them is learning, one of them is growing, one of them is developing, and the other one is struggling. I'll tell you why. Because one is resistant while the other one is responsive. Come on, are you hearing me? I call it having a righteous reflex. You know when you go to the doctor and they put you on the table and they bring that little mallet out and they just hit your knee and you, have, you ain't even thinking about it and you ain't got no control over it. You just, it's just boom, you hit it and it just go like that and you have no control. It's not even conscious. It's, it's, just, it's a reflex. That's how it is with God. When God touches your life, it's just a righteous reflex. I just, I just come to church. I don't even think about it. I don't know. He just touched my life. I'm going to get him go to church today. It's a righteous reflex. I'm serving in the house of God. I don't know. I'm not even thinking about it. It's just a righteous reflex. I pay him my tithes. You know, I just pay my tithe because it's a righteous reflex. I love on the brothers and sisters in the house of God. I mean, it's really no hard work to it. It's just a righteous reflex. I'm responding to the touch of God in my life. And so therefore, he responds. He responds because that's how you know you're revived. Y'all getting anything out of this? Let me give you one more, but I'm going to spend a little more time just around this last one. So this last one is he rejoiced. He rejoiced. Verse 24 says, and they begin 
to be merry. Go start to finish. He started out by reflecting and he ends up rejoicing. They begin to be merry. Now, let me preface this by saying, this is not your regular rejoicing. This is the kind of rejoicing that rubs people the wrong way. It don't take all that. See, before I'm done here, I might take me a run around this church tonight. But it's the kind of rejoicing that rubs people the wrong way. The prodigal son's older brother was rubbed the wrong way. Because he comes to the house, he hears the music, and he's like, now why? What's all this? Why all this music and dancing and celebration and partying and praising and worshiping? Why are we doing all this? Because here's the thing you got to always remember. When people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they'll always reject how you rejoice. And so he was rubbed the wrong way. I was just talking about David, his wife, Mikael. She was rubbed the wrong way. David got the Ark of the Covenant back into the city. He's out in the middle of the city rejoicing. He's out in the middle of the city dancing, praising his God. I'm telling you, he's having a good time in worship, and he gets home to his own woman, and she says, you know what? You acted like a fool today. I can't believe you was out there rejoicing in front of the whole city like that. I can't believe you was giving it up for God like that. You didn't came out of your priestly and kingly garments. Where is your dignity, sir? Because when people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they'll be quick to reject how you rejoice. And your rejoicing can rub them the wrong way. I'm reminded of this woman of the night who walks into the room and she starts worshiping Jesus. She's washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with the hairs of her hair. And the disciples get rubbed the wrong way. The disciples said, now, if he just knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't even be letting her get near him and touch him because something about her worship is rubbing them the wrong way. But when people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they'll be quick to reject how you rejoice. And ain't it, and isn't it just like church people who think, who think sinners don't have the right to rejoice? Got mighty quiet up in here right now. But can I tell you some of the best rejoicers used to be the worst sinners? <laughs> you in the room? Some of the, some of the best worshipers used to be the worst wrongdoers. Come on. And so they're giving this woman a hard time. They're giving her a hard time. And I can just hear this woman. I can hear this woman just saying, why, why are y'all judging me in here when you weren't there? No, no. Why are y'all judging me in here when you weren't there when I grew up without a father to cover me? 
Why are y'all judging me in here when, when you weren't there when I was molested as a young girl, as a young child? Why are you judging me in here when you weren't there when I lost my virginity as a teenager? It was stolen from me. Why are you judging me in here when you weren't there when, when he touched me and turned me around from turning tricks for a living? How you gonna judge me in here when you weren't there? You weren't there in my abusive relationship. You, you weren't there when my house went into foreclosure. No, no, you weren't there when I lost my mother and I'm the only child. You weren't there when I went through a devastating divorce. You weren't there when the doctor looked me in the eye and told me I had cancer. You weren't there when I laid in the bed for two weeks with COVID-19. Now you got the nerve to judge me in here when you weren't there. Somebody better get ready to rejoice. Yeah. See, see, because when people haven't experienced what you've experienced, they'll be quick to reject how you rejoice. And I can hear, I can hear the prodigal saying, come on, big bruh. I can hear say, come on, big bruh. I know my rejoicing is rubbing you the wrong way. I understand that. But you weren't there in my wasteful season. You weren't there in my famine. Come on, big bruh. You weren't there when no man gave unto me. You weren't there when I was in the fields feeding the pig and the swine. You weren't there. But now I know that I rejoice radically, but it's because he has revived me radically from a riotous lifestyle. Oh, glory to God. Come on, am I talking to any radical people in the house tonight? I'm talking to vibrant church. Vibrant church is a radical church. Come on, vibrant church is a radical church. Radical people raise their hands. Radical people raise their voice. Radical people raise their, come on. Radical people, come on, roar. Radical people roar like a lion. Radical people take off running. Radical, I'm talking about a radical church. Somebody shout hallelujah. Are y'all hearing this? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise that make a dead man walk again. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. I'm going to live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Come on, son of man, can these bones live? Breathe, prophesy, speak to these bones until you hear a rattle, until you hear a sound, until you hear a response. It's called the recipe for revival. Come on, somebody ought to shake it off right now. Glory to God. God is good. Pastor Ethan mentioned something while he was up here. He, he mentioned something, and I don't know when he said it, the Holy Spirit just sparked something in me. When he's talked about 
David and surely goodness and mercy follow me. And then he quoted the scripture, all things work together for the good. And God showed me something about that scripture. All things work together for the good. Here's, I'm going to just add this right to the end of this message. I'm going to capitalize this message. I'm going to cap it off with this. You cannot define your life over isolated incidents, over individual events. Because he says all things work together for the good. So, so I'm still talking recipe. When I would go down to my grandmama's house, and I was so little I couldn't hardly see over the counter, all her ingredients would be on the counter. She'd have it all laid out. I'm seven years old, I'm eight years old. What happens if I go and I just take the flour all by itself? Mmm, that don't taste too good. Or how about if I go take the, the broken egg and eat it isolated all by itself? That don't taste too good. Oh, how about if I just take the vanilla abstract all by itself? If I just take the confined sugar and just all by itself, that don't taste too good. But when grandmama put it in the bowl, we start working it all together. She starts she start working it all together. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? If you look at your life and you say, oh, I had an abortion back then. By yourself, that don't taste too good. Or if you look at your life and you say, oh, I just lost a good job. By yourself, that don't taste too good. I went through a divorce. By yourself, that don't taste too good. I was in prison. By yourself, that don't taste too good. But when God brings out his big whipping spoon, and puts it in the bowl together and adds a little bit of grace and a little bit of mercy. Come on, you'll be able to say, taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. Come on, vibrant church. Come on, let's give it up for God tonight. Hallelujah. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Glory to God. Can we sing it out of the room? Come on, this is the sound. Say, this is the sound of troubles rattling. Oh, y'all got it. Come on, come on. Oh, this is the praise make a dead man walk again. Come on, sing it out. Open the grave. So, oh. 